This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. Matt Danaher is a soccer player and soccer coach. He isn't, or maybe I just say wasn't, a tech guy. But Matt saw a void when it came to collecting, interpreting, and using data in soccer and decided to build an app called Soccer Pulse to help solve the problem. So in this interview, Matt is going to talk about his playing career and how he ended up at a lower division club in Germany. He will also talk about why understanding data is important. And he will also mention that he is a bad salesman and that his product isn't the solution for everyone. I don't mean to read too much into that line. But when you guys hear it, and when you guys hear Matt talk about it, it will be funny. Um, The Soccer Pulse app and the services have been used by Portland Timbers, Colorado Rapids, University of Portland, and Charlotte Independence, just to name a few. But Soccer Pulse also has a sweet little deal with my friends over at Duke Dig Brand. So if you go to the write-up portion of this podcast, you can get a link to that and find out how to learn more about both of those companies. And you can also hear my interview with Tiffany Weimer, which is one of the co-founders of Duke Dig Brand. Uh, Needless to say, data collection and interpretation is a wave that is already hitting American soccer shores. And it is probably a smart idea that you start to understand that data and how to use it now rather than trying to play catch up later. Uh, Just a reminder that this episode of the 343 podcast is brought to you by the 343 Coaching Education Program. It is a program that helped me tremendously and helped me to better understand how to teach possession soccer specifically and has helped thousands of other coaches do exactly the same. You can learn more about the benefits of a 343 membership and you can also learn how you can support and fund this podcast by visiting 343coaching.com. That's the numbers 343coaching, all spelled out, dot com. All right, I hope you enjoy this episode of the 343 podcast with Matt Danaher. Hey, John, how are you? Doing good. How are you, sir? I'm good. I'm, uh, I have a confession to make. Were you listening to TLC, too? <laughs> no, this is, uh, this is actually the first podcast I've ever done. Nice. So, All right. So this is, uh, this is a big first for me. <laughs> well, I feel honored and privileged to, uh, to take this from you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. I I was just laughing when I was uh when I was calling. It's like if I ever it it actually be pretty funny to do it. if I ever release like a like a playlist of stuff that's always playing before I make my phone calls because that's what I use as a sound check. I just use music on my phone. It would be yeah. ridiculous, dude. Today was TLC. Yesterday was I uh, I think Taylor Swift or something. I don't know. It'd be, oh man, <laughs> it'd be those, those are, there's some good there's some tunes there though. I mean. Yeah. yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie, but I'm a. I'm a closet Taylor Swift fan. <laughs> I'm not even a closet about it. I'm. I'm. I'm out in the <laughs> open about it. <laughs> hey, I uh, mean, no, go for it. What were you gonna say? No, I mean, uh, it's uh, it's just nice to to talk to someone where uh, you know, I don't have to hide that I'll be driving down the the highway going seventy, blasting uh, twenty two, 
and people are looking at me like, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? <laughs> no, dude, this is a this is a safe space, man. Feel free to be open and honest about everything, especially when we get into the soccer stuff. Oh, absolutely. Let's do it. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I feel I feel like I say this all the time, but I I need to I need to kind of get to know exactly who you are and what you're about. We obviously know each other from social media. Um, I, I, I believe that you've listened to episodes of the podcast before, but like you said, Mm -hmm. you, you've never been on a podcast before. I've, I've never, I've never heard you talk about your work, uh, in detail. I know a little bit about, uh, your app and the work that you're doing with different clubs and MLS teams as well. Now it's, which is, uh, very exciting, um, but before we get too far into it, I think uh, just a brief introduction would would help kind of set the stage for the rest of the conversation, and, and then we can kind of decide where to explore from there. Right, absolutely. So uh, should I do it how uh, Dave Copeland-Smith was kind of like, hi, I'm, I'm Dave, um, and just kind of go through it? <laughs> sure, go for it. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Um, so my name is Matt Danaher. Uh, I'm originally from Trumbull, Connecticut, uh, the 203 um, I currently live in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, with my fiance Michelle, um, and I've been involved in the game since I was since I was five. Um, you know, I think my first to to just put it out there, I'm a I'm a Manchester United fan, um, and that was my dad when I was I think about ten years old. He went over for a business trip to to Manchester, and he came back with a with a Vodafone. Uh, I think that was their sponsor at the time. Uh, and that was like, when I was like, oh, wow, like, you know, I can, cause I, I don't even think there were games on TV then. Um, so that was kind of my first kind of foray into, you know, real, real soccer. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I actually played travel soccer, which is, you know, the lowest level that you can play, uh, up until I was U14, um, which is kind of unheard of. I think most people like now, like you, you have kids that are playing premier at like, you know, U6, U7, um, so I played that until I was 14. Uh, and then each year I kind of moved on to a new team, I guess. Um, so I would, I knew I wasn't very good technically cause I didn't have great coaches when I was younger. Um, so I really had to kind of work on, uh, of my game. And so each year, you know, during high school, I would kind of try and move on to the next team to try and, uh, you know, get to playing college. Cause that's ultimately what I wanted to do. Um, and then, uh, this is actually where, where Tiff comes in. Cause the, the team that I finally made my, my senior year was, uh, South central and they were in the, the development Academy. They were one of the original, uh, teams and Tiff Weimer, who you, you just recorded the podcast with, she, I think she had a break in between her white cap season. And so she, uh, would come down and train with us, uh, at university of Bridgeport in Connecticut. Um, and that was, uh, quite the experience because it was, I want to say like zero degrees, the, the field is right on the water. Uh, so the wind just kind of whips in. Um, and so, and we were out there training all through the winter. Um, and then from there, I was, I was lucky enough to, to be offered a spot to play at Fairfield University, um, where both my parents actually went to school, um, which is division one. Uh, it's in Connecticut, um, played there for, for four years. Uh, I was lucky enough my junior year to, uh, study abroad in Ireland. Um, so during the spring season, uh, obviously, as you know, most division one programs, they're not really, they play a couple games, but it's not very, 
uh, extensive and I really wanted to keep playing and keep improving. So I went over to Ireland uh, to do a study abroad and I managed to link up with a team there that was playing uh, in the Irish uh, first division, which is technically uh, second division. Um, and they signed me as an amateur. Uh, I played there up until my, my student visa expired, uh, came back home, played PDL through the summer, uh, and then finished my senior year at Fairfield. Um, and you know, that was an amazing experience for any, for any, uh, kids out there that can do that. If you can study abroad and go to a different country and experience that and, you know, different culture, different style of play, you know, you absolutely have to do it. Um, and then I, you know, for one more kind of hurrah, I went over to Germany uh, and signed with a team in the fifth division, uh, FCA Darmstadt, uh, and played there for a year, which was really cool because our, our manager, uh, he had played for SV Darmstadt, and he had actually scored the goal to get them promoted to the second division the season prior. Um, but he, he was a little bit older. He was about 36, 37. Um, and he, he coached us and managed us. Uh, and, and during that time that I was there playing, SV Darmstadt went on a run in the second division uh, and ended up getting promoted uh, to the Bundesliga at the end of the season, uh, which was really cool because, you know, you could just feel in the city how the people felt about it. You know, you couldn't go out and not see, you know, a banner or a logo about the team. Um, and then it worked out for us because as uh, I don't know if you know too much about uh, German uh, geography, but Eintracht Frankfurt is, was really the big team in uh, the Frankfurt area. Um, so they were, you know, as they saw that Darmstadt was going to move up, they were like, okay, let's play some friendlies against some of these local teams to try and get some more support because we know SV Darmstadt is going to be coming up next year. Um, so they reached out to us and they were like, hey, we'd like to play you guys in a, in a friendly. Um, and, you know, the, the club was like, absolutely. So they set it up. Um, and we played probably in front of about 7,000 uh, fans. And the uh, we were a little scared because someone had told us, you know, oh, the 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 week before they had played, a, I think, a sixth division team and beat them like 15 nothing. So we're like, OK, like, you know, this is, uh, you know, we don't want that to happen. We don't want to be, you know, embarrassed. Um, so the first half finished 3-0 to, to Eintracht Frankfurt. And then the second half was 1-1. Uh, so it finished 4-1. But it was a, you know, we felt like, you know, we didn't embarrass ourselves. We kind of you know, we're able to play with them. And that was a tremendous experience. Um, you know, I think Timmy Chandler was playing on the other side, uh, Lucas Piazon uh, and some of the other guys. So it wasn't just, you know, the, the, the U23s, they actually played a lot of the first team players, uh, which was really cool. Um, and then while I was over there, you know, started thinking about the app. Uh, so put a little bit of that together um, and, you know, came back and decided I really wanted to kind of get into coaching uh, you know, using the experiences that I'd had in the game and all the things I knew, I, you know, there's, there's nothing better than trying to give that back to the kids that, you know, are trying to make it and do want to play. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a pretty long synopsis of my, my, uh, my moments in the game. <laughs> it's all good, man. I, I, I want to make sure that, that I bring this up because I think for a while on your, on your Twitter bio, you had something along the lines of like, played against uh frankfurt or something like that right was that was that you yeah yeah i did have that yeah because you know it's it, it's one of those things you know i think honestly i'm gonna i'll probably tell my kids about it because you know it's 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 cool to you know you don't get an opportunity like that you know every day and and uh to to be able to be there against you know guys like that that, that play at such a high level 
um, you know, it was really surreal. It was like, I, I, I had to kind of pinch myself when I was in it because I didn't believe that it was actually, you know, happening because I, I honestly didn't think I would ever even get to that point in Germany, never mind get to play against a Bundesliga team. Um, so that was really cool. Tell me a little bit about that experience playing with the fifth division team in Germany and what, what the expectations were for the team that season that you were with them or season, sorry, I, I don't remember if it was multiple or, or, or just one. Um, and, and yeah. what the, what the vibe was like from your, your club supporters and, and things like that. Just describe the fifth division atmosphere. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it's, I could tell you some crazy stories about it, but uh, the, we uh, lived in a, we called it the player house and house in, in German is, is H A U S. Um, so we actually lived right on the training ground. Um, and it was, I think there was 10 Americans of us all together in, it was American and Canadian players. Uh, we were all together in this player house right on the, uh, the training ground. And originally the house was only really supposed to hold like six people. Um, but the, the club got a little ambitious and thought they could bring over a few more, guys so we had uh we had some guys living in the living room uh we had a guy that would like sleep on the kitchen um so that was interesting but the 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 club uh it was cool because elton da costa was the our player manager um so he uh not only did he play with us and he was one of the best you know left-footed players i've ever seen he could just if you if uh anyone looks up youtube highlights of him uh you can see the goal he scored and some of the the plays he made but he was just unbelievable so he was our player manager um, and he spoke a little bit of English, mostly German and, and, and Portuguese. Um, but he, uh, he did a good job of kind of, you know, managing us, you know, cause all of us Americans were not used to that type of experience. Um, you know, so he, he lived, uh, you know, close by and he was like, if you guys want to come over for, for dinner or, you know, they took us to SB Darmstadt game. Um, you know, they really made it feel like home for us. So, uh, I think, towards the end of the season, we were mathematically, we couldn't go up and we couldn't go down, but you know, the, we still kind of wanted to keep the, the pride of the club, you know, cause they had invested in us to, to bring us there. And, and uh, you know, it's not an easy thing to house players and feed them, you know, especially when it becomes 11, 12 guys, um, you know, so we just really wanted to keep those high standards for them, uh, you know, going into the, the, the last stretch of the season, even though we couldn't go up. I'm I'm curious what the like the supporters of of the games look like on on game days. You mentioned that when you played, I think against Frankfurt, there was seven thousand fans. But what about like your guys' normal games, like your your league games, where you're just playing another fifth division team? Is there five people in the stands? Is there five hundred? Is is the city uh, behind you guys? It honestly, it, it depended on the game. But I think the fact that SB Darmstadt was doing so well, you know, Darmstadt is not a it's a, it's a small town. So there's, there's only so many, uh, you know, supporters to go around. So, you know, when you have one team that's doing really well and another team that's, you know, a lower league, uh, you know, most of the fans would go to the SB Darmstadt game and rightly slept. So, I mean, they were, uh, doing really well. So we, I would say we'd probably have about maybe 200 to 250 at each game. Um, and it would depend on the game and the, the weather and the circumstances. But even still, so just 200 or 250 people in the stands, maybe on average, that didn't that didn't deter these guys from wanting to build a club and have an identity and and be part of the German soccer system. I guess is what I'm I'm kind of leading you in towards. 
No, no, absolutely. And, and it's funny you say that because they actually, they emailed me two days ago and I really wasn't expecting this at all. Uh, I've only told my fiance, um, but they, they sent me a WhatsApp message uh, probably about two days ago and they were like, Hey, you know, what are your, what are you doing? What are your ambitions like? Are you still playing? Um, and I was like, you know, I'm, I'm working for Charlotte independence. Um, I'm coaching here. I'm, I play in the reserve games for some of the guys, you know, when they need players, uh, because they don't have a huge squad. Um, and they were like, we're, we have ambitions to, to get back into the, the fourth division, which is where they were before. And they were like, are you interested in coming back out? And I said, you know, that, that was three years ago, but I mean, you know, let's, let's see where you guys are at. So I think they've, they've gotten a bit of money, a bit of an investment in the club now. And they're looking to kind of push on to back to where they were. So back to the fourth division, um, which is a, you know, fourth division in Germany is a pretty good uh, level. Um, so I'm, I'm excited. I have to think about it. It's a, it's a big commitment, but uh, it would be cool to go back out there and, and be a part of it again. That's a, that's a crazy opportunity, man. And it just, it, it kind of, it's like one of those moments, I think a lot of, ex players or coaches or, or people would always dream of like, Oh my gosh, like I'm getting another shot. Like this is going to be badass. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And, but one of the things I did kind of emphasize, I was like, Hey, like I'm, I am three years older. And I think a lot of my ambition from playing was because I wanted to become a good coach. Um, so I'm like, if, if I come back over, like I'm, I'm going to want to have a role in the coaching and the training and, and, you know, not just be a player. Um, because I do feel like in, in three years time, I've learned a lot, you know, there's a lot of, I want to make my own kind of footprint on the game a bit and, and, uh, you know, kind of transfer some knowledge to the guys, uh, that are there. Um, so, you know, I was like, if I come over again, it's going to have to be in a, in a dual kind of coach player capacity. Um, and I think they're very open to that. So I'm, I'm excited to see what, what happens and I'll, I'll keep you posted. What about trying to be like an ambassador and bringing over American other American players? So maybe, maybe I'm not suggesting this, but maybe uh, you're not the right fit for the team to to get them or help them to the fourth division as a player, but as a coach and and as maybe like a recruiter of American players, that that could be a different role. I don't know if you've thought about that. Yeah, I mean, it's the I think the club is actually already pushed on with that because they have. Uh, they have, I think, 12. This is what he told me. They said they have 15 American guys that are Jesus. currently signed to the team. Yeah, and it's a lot of it. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's a lot of ex-college guys that, you know, they came out of college and they didn't have anywhere to go. Um, and, you know, you're, you're still kind of young. You don't have too much debt, hopefully, and you want to at least go and play. Um, so I think the club is already, they know, they see the value in American players. They know that if they get uh, you know, the right group of guys that that it could be their key to kind of push on and, and get promoted. Um, so there's a there's a very uh, significant American presence at this club, which is really cool. And I think one of the 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 reasons why German clubs are able to, you know, sign you know, 10, 15 Americans or, or whatever uh, is, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Germany has like the most lax um policies when it comes to having foreign foreign born players playing in their leagues or their clubs where it's like if you go to France or if you go to England or or Spain like there's you know certain criteria that that your roster has to has to meet in order to you know for for your team to qualify for you know certain leagues or the cups but in Germany it's kind of like wide open almost I know there's some rules but 
yeah, you're you're absolutely right. And the one of the things that helps too is the uh, the the work permit or being able to stay in the country for uh, however long you need. There's a there's a special kind of relationship between Germany and and the U.S. So if I think when the season is broken up into two halves, uh, you know, as long as you leave during the the summer months, you know, you think you have 90 days to be out of the country, but then you can come back in for you know four or five months. Uh, so during the winter break and the summer break, it works out perfect because the players will, you know, you'll just leave the country, you know, you're out and then you come back in, you know, you get stamped and you're and you're good to go. Um, I actually have an EU passport, so it's a little bit easier for me. Um, but I know for all the other guys that were there, even with the Canadian guys, that was one of the reasons why they were in Germany was because they were able to, uh, you know, get there and, and leave and come back without any issues with the government. Yeah, it's it's an interesting topic because people are always wondering like, oh, like why aren't young American players going to the Premier League or why aren't young American players doing this and that or why are they all going to Bundesliga or German teams? It's like, well, if you look at, you know, the pathways, the pathways, you can only go to certain places and, and realistically right. expect to uh, to to get playing time and, and to actually develop into, uh, you know, a, a good player. And man, I. I if I'm not mistaken, I think it's like, is it France maybe where you're only allowed like four foreign uh, player spots? Like it's, uh, it's something ridiculous. Like it could be, I'm, I'm not sure. I would have to, I would have to look, but I know even, even in like England though, to get a work permit, if you don't have an EU passport, like you have to have played at least, I think it's like 70% of your national team's games and the last, like it's very, the standard is very high to meet, especially. And if you're a young kid and, and no one knows about you, like you're not going to, you're not going to get that, you know? So that's why I think Germany is one of the big places to go. And the fact that most Germans speak English. So it's, you know, if they, they prefer to speak German, but if you need to communicate with them in English, you know, they have no problem, you know, talking to you. Uh, so I think that's huge as well. Very huge. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's backtrack a little bit. And I want to, I want to kind of get to the beginnings of this app that you and I have both hinted at that you're, that you're part of, um, when it sounds, it sounds like when you were in Germany for the first, for the first time, you mm-hmm. had, had kind of started laying the, the framework for this app that is now available today. What, right. maybe you can talk about what it actually is and then what actually prompted you to start looking at developing something like this yeah for sure so uh just to connect tiff back into this again so i was working with tiff my senior year in in college and we were we were coaching a u uh, i think there were u16 girls team uh and what we had been doing with them was uh every night they would submit a survey monkey that had uh you know how they were feeling their soreness fatigue stress sleep uh, and part of my job description was to take all these surveys and put them into an Excel sheet and, you know, kind of monitor everyone as the, as the season went on. Um, and needless to say, that is not a, uh, a, a, it's a very time consuming task. So I was like, oh my gosh, if I can't be the only person that's doing this and, and wants to know how their players feel and is then, you know, doing the most cost effective way of, you know, incorporating that data into the training sessions. Um, and then, so when I went to Germany, uh, we were still doing it. So even though I was away from the club, I was still getting the survey monkeys coming in and it was, you know, I was still transmitting that data to the coaches. Um, but I was, again, I was like, this has taken me like two hours, an hour and a half a night to, to do this. 
Um, and I had more time on my hands in Germany because I was just playing. Um, but I was like, you know, let me see if I can, you know, start to, you know, lay the groundwork for this and, and come up with a way for it to actually translate to other coaches because I'm sure other coaches are going to want to use this. Um, so it sounds kind of crazy, but uh, and people kind of laugh at me for this, but I uh, took a $20 online course in Swift, which is the native coding language for iOS. Uh, and I just built out a basic version of how this app would work. Uh, and I got a little lucky because some of the videos I found, uh, they, it had the same data structure as what I wanted for the app. It was just through like messaging instead of with the, with the surveys. Um, so I built it out over the course of probably about nine or 10 months. Uh, and I just released a beta version of it to uh, some coaches that I knew. I was like, hey, can you guys take a look at this and, and see if it's something you like, something you want to use? Uh, and the, the responses were like overwhelmingly positive. They were like, we love this. This is great. Um, but we need it on an Android version as well. So we can't just have it for iPhone because we have at least four or five players that, you know, are going to need to, to use it on Android too. Um, so at that point I reached out to a developer and I was like, Hey, can you build the, the same version of this, but just on, on, on Android? Uh, so this was in, I think, uh, summer of last year. Uh, so they built that out and, and now obviously there's both versions and it's just kind of taken off like, like wildfire, like through, I don't know how people, people have heard about it, whether it's word of mouth or, uh, you know, through the internet, but it's, it's just been overwhelming the number of teams and, and coaches that have reached out to me saying, Hey, like I was doing something similar. I was, you know, and it was taking me so long, like your app has saved me so much time. Uh, so it's been really cool to see, you know, it's even reached different parts of the globe. Like there's, there's top uh, teams in Greece that are emailing me saying they want to use this with all their academy teams. And it's, it's a little overwhelming. It's going to get to the point where I need to hire some people. Uh, but it's been a really cool journey so far. <laughs> it's exciting. Um, tell me exactly what the app does though. So you, you, right. you, you touched on the, the fact like, you know, you were, you were taking surveys and you were inputting all of that data, but, but what, what were, the questions on the survey or, or what, what was the, what were the results intended to do? Okay. So I know you, you had Raymond on your, on your show and, and I'm a huge fan of his. I, I was actually introduced to uh, his, his stuff uh, from one of my friends. Um, and, and one of his big emphasis is for his uh, programs is, you know, the players have to be fresh. They have to feel good uh, because uh, soccer is a maximum intensity sport. It's not an endurance sport. So you need your players to be, you know, feeling good 100% uh, for the training sessions and especially for the games. And that's how you avoid injuries. So the survey is basically a it's soreness, fatigue, stress, sleep and mood. And it asks the player scale of one to ten. Uh, how are you feeling? Um, and that cumulative score gives the coach an idea of are they fresh or are they you know, fatigued? Um, and. The idea was to just put it in the most basic format where it's very easy for players to do it. Uh, I think it takes about 10 seconds to submit a report um, and then make it very easy for the coach to read the data and say, okay, you know, I need to back off today or I can go hard or, you know, these two players need individual periodization within my team structure because they're more fatigued or more sore than the other players. So that's kind of the, the idea came from Raymond's stuff. Um, and I, I love his periodization. I love using the game as the starting point. I think it's, I, I, I've racked my brain to try and come up with a better way to explain fitness and I can't do it. Um, so that's where I think the app kind of fits in is it gives you an idea, low cost, how, how are my players feeling and you know, how can I plan the next session based on that? 
talk a little bit about the clientele here in the United States. And I, and I want you to, I want you to paint the picture, uh, like the broad picture of, of who's using this. So that way people understand, you know, who, who this is for. Right. So we've, I've, I mean, it's a whole mix to be honest. I mean, we've had, uh, I say we, but it's, it's, I, I use that term because I, I try and make it sound like there's a team of people doing this, but it's really just me. Um, but the, we have, uh, teams in the MLS youth academies that are using it. So Colorado Rapids, uh, Portland Timbers, uh, the North Carolina Courage are signing up there. Uh, all their girls DA teams this week. Um, I'd say we probably have about 50 colleges using it this fall. Um, and it's, a, it's an interesting split because originally I thought there would be a lot more female coaches that wanted to use this, but it's actually the opposite. It's about 80-20 uh, in terms of male players and coaches using it compared to female, which I thought was really interesting. Um, and that could be because, you know, guys in general uh, were probably more likely to, to say something in a survey that doesn't, we don't have to say it to someone's face if there's something bothering us. Cause you know, we want to be, we want to be tough about it. Um, but I thought that was really interesting. So yeah, it's, it's, it's high school teams, it's youth teams, it's high level youth teams. Uh, I, I got an email last week from Olympiakos in, in Greece and they want to, you know, sign up all their, youth teams uh, to use it. Um, and then I think in, in the UK, we have St. Mirren, uh, who are, they just got promoted to the Scottish uh, Premiership and, and they they've rolled it out with all their youth academy teams uh, and potentially their first team as well. So it's really interesting that it's the whole spectrum of, you know, high school uh, to, to pro really. Yeah, and, and that's what I was, I was hoping you would get into is that it's, it's from, you know, youth to, to high level youth to, to the pros and and I feel like everybody can benefit from uh not necessarily the app I mean the app is is a great is a great service but just understanding how all those pieces uh work in the player development process and and I'm really curious if there's anything in particular that you learned along this journey that you actually didn't know when you set out to build this like did you know how important sleep was when you first started to build this app or did you know how important hydration was when you first started to build the app what what have you learned along the way um i mean it's it's been cool to see like now, now that with the independence I, I think we have like six months worth of data so when guys get hurt or when we go through a bad spell I can look back at the graphs and see, okay, well, leading up to this week, we never really regained freshness for our players. Um, and it's, I didn't really realize the importance of that until I built it. And I, you know, even the response from people saying that they had used this with their teams and they had the lowest injury rate they've ever had. And I'm not, you know, trying to sell this as something that's going to solve all, you know, injury issues or, or whatnot, but I think it's pretty uh, cool to see these, these, teams and players kind of embrace this and then you know it does have an effect on the players they have less injuries the 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 games at the end of the season that they weren't winning in prior years they are winning this time because the players are fit um so i think that's really uh, a cool thing to see and not something i really expected I, I i wouldn't have thought that it would have had that kind of impact on on programs as it has so i'm curious now that you mention it like so a coach gets all this data in front of them and they're like, okay, like here's a graph and you know, here's, you know, three months worth of worth of uh, patterns from, from my team. What, what, what does a U 14 boys or girls coach do with that? Like, the, like from my experience, a U 14 
girls or boys coach, you know, average coach in the United States does not have any expertise in in those other fields, right? Like they're they're a soccer coach, but not an expert in psychology or physiology or or those other aspects that go into you know training or or, or developing a player. So how how can a, a everyday coach use all that data? Well, well, that's the interesting thing. And you mentioned, you know, in, interpreting the data is just as important as, you know, actually having it. And and that's one of the issues I have with the big, uh, I don't I'm sure you saw this, but the, the I think it's maybe $1 billion uh, deal that U.S. soccer signed with, uh, I think it's Statsport, but it's for heart rate monitors and GPS tracking. Yeah. Um, and it's and it's up down to like U10 and they were like, oh, you know, if we sign up all these kids and have all this data, and the cost aside, it's like, what are you going to do once you have all this data? Like, how, how is that going to change the coaching uh, of your players? You know, and, and the, the essence of my app is just, you know, hey, here's a general idea of how these players are feeling. You know, this player, you know, maybe didn't sleep well tonight. Maybe we just back off for a little bit today and, and not drastically change your session or what you have planned. But just, you know, to give you an idea going into it, you know, things that might come up. But if you just have, you know, oh, they ran, you know, four miles today, tracked with my GPS, and this was their max heart rate. Like, I don't, as if I don't have a sports science degree, it's very difficult for me to interpret that and then actually make meaningful changes, uh, you know, to my team, especially, and, and you mentioned it for, for a U14 team. Like, I, I'm actually a bad salesman because I've had teams come up to me and say, hey, we want to roll this out with our U13s. And I'm like, ah, like, it's probably not a good, like, you don't need to know if a kid tears his <laughs> hamstring at U, U12, he's just going to bounce back in a week. You know, it's not, that's where your emphasis shouldn't be. And if I was a good salesman, I would be like, no, you need this at, you know, U13, U14. But I, I mean, I tell them until they go through puberty, you really don't need to know uh, any of this stuff. So that's why I have to laugh at some of the, the GPS and heart rate uh, stuff is it's like, what are you going to learn from that, from that information? And how are you going to change your, your training because if you don't make any adjustments to it there's no point in even having the data well on that point it seems like u.s soccer you know wants to make this massive investment uh, you know in in getting all these monitors and whatever and, and gathering all all sorts of data right but mm -hmm. they, they seem to be setting themselves up to analyze all that data themselves so on a on a on a scale like that large, so you know, a team of sports scientists hired by U.S. Soccer is going to analyze this massive data set. What right. I, I I just don't understand what they're going to learn and can you know relay back to individual clubs or individual teams or coaches or players at that point because it's it, the the information is just it, it's not personalized. It's just a big set of numbers. Exactly. And you're missing the context of it. So you don't know what kind of sessions they were running with their players unless they're logging into the U.S. soccer database and entering every session that they've ever done with their team over that season. You really don't know what you're kind of working with. It's uh, maybe for the games, I guess you could kind of look at, OK, they ran this amount. But even then, like, you know, it's if it lacks context, like if I just have a central midfielder who just is a headless chicken and just runs around and like, oh, he ran eight miles today. Like, well, okay. Like, is that because he was always losing the ball or because, you know, he, you know, was putting himself in bad spots and, and had to recover, you know? So the data is really misleading. If you, if you don't have the, the game in front of you, if you don't have the training session in front of you, it's very hard to infer what, you know, what any, any data points mean really. And then how do you make meaningful change with that information? 
data has always been a very like touchy talking point i guess like there's there's some people that are like gung-ho about it like oh my gosh like you need to be tracking every single thing that your players and and uh and your club is doing and then there's yeah the other side of it where you know people really don't care and and there's a bunch of people uh, across the spectrum right um yeah. i'm curious where you fell as as like a player and then a young coach or or a new coach and then what what actually kind of changed your mind about collecting or, or analyzing this different information? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, it, I, I get this sometimes from people. I wrote a blog uh, a few years ago talking about how we should kind of do away with max out aerobic tests in team sports. Cause it's not really, it doesn't give you a context of how your, your team is, how long they can ma- maintain a playing style. And I got a lot of pushback from coaches that were like, oh, it's VO2 max and you need to know this. And, and this is why you need to know it. Um, and my response was, you know, but it's not specific. You know, if I run, if I play a 77 game for four minutes and I see how many blocks they can, they can do for that, then I have a starting point for the number of minutes that they're going to play. But if I just know their VO2 max, you know, unless I have a whole staff of sports scientists with me, it's, it's going to be really difficult for me to kind of adjust the training for them and do it in a way where I'm still coaching my, my playing style to them. Um, and, and then some of the responses to the blog were, Oh, well, this player, he must not have been fit. He must not have done well on his fitness tests in college. Uh, and I was like, well, I, you know, I run a, a sub 12 minute mile, you know, I can get the yo-yo test up to, you know, above a level 40. So that's not the issue. The issue is not that I was unfit as a player. So now I have this view that, Oh, fitness doesn't matter. Um, my, issue is the context is what matters most and the specificity of it. So if, you know, if I'm running a two mile on a track, how does that translate to, you know, me being able to make decisions in the 70th, 80th minute, you know, it really doesn't. Um, And I think it's going to be hard. I think the the coaches that have the uh, their, their soccer guys at heart, and then they have the sports science background, it's much easier to get them to come around to this kind of stuff. Whereas if you're only have a, you know, a, a fitness background and you never played at all, but you're working with a, a team or you're involved in an organization, it's much more difficult, I think, to see, to, to come around to this point of view that it's it's more about the playing style. It's more about the actions and being able to maintain actions. And it's less about the actual raw uh, data that you have on your players. The only time in my life that I ever did a VO2 max test when I was, let's see, I must've been 20 years old. Yeah, I think I was 20 years old. And it was at Athletes Performance, which is now Exos in uh, right. Los, Los Angeles. And they have their headquarters at, at the time. It was Home Depot Center. Now it's StubHub. Um, and so I was there doing preseason conditioning to get ready for my college season. And mm-hmm. it just so happened to coincide with David Beckham's first week at LA Galaxy. And so oh, yeah. I was doing my VO2 max test on a on a treadmill. I had you know, the, the face mask on and you know, just dying on the treadmill. And then in comes, <laughs> in comes David Beckham and sits or gets on the stationary bike that's right next to my treadmill. And so I'm thinking in my head, like, all right, how accurate are these numbers? Because my heart was like skyrocketing, probably my heart rate probably skyrocketed when, you know, the superstar comes and stands next to me. I'd never, yeah, right? I'd never had an experience like that before. And, mm-hmm. and to, to kind of come full circle with the story, 
I never understood what the point of taking that test was. Like I, I, yeah. it, I, I never saw the score. Uh, I never used it or, or did the test again during my preseason. Um, right. And, and for, you know, for me being an individual that was training there and not with my team and things like that, like I was totally wowed by it as a, you know, as a player, like, Oh my God, like I'm doing these fancy equipment or these fancy tests with all this fancy equipment and, and all kinds of stuff. As a player, I was wowed by it. And, and, you know, it, it was a, a fun experience, but looking back, you know, 10 year, 10 years later, yeah. I, I don't understand. I, I, I just don't understand what the point of it was for, for my personal experience there. So. Right. I mean, and, and it's the context is everything again. So it's like, if you were a track runner, you know, you're like, okay, this makes sense because I'm going to have to race at, you know, this level of my VO2 max. And, and, and this is how I can plan my training out because I know the exact number of minutes. I know the exact mileage, but team sports are different. So, and, and, and the emphasis always needs to be on the starting point, which is the game and the style of play that you're going to have. So if you're a team that's going to press, you need to train that. And, and the, the, the VO2 max is not really going to give you the idea exactly of how long your team can press for. The only thing that's going to tell you how long they can press for is to have them press and time it and see, you know, okay, if we play 11 v 11 game for, you know, 15 minutes, how long can we press for? Or, you know, if we're a counterattacking team, you know, how long can we sit in and counter before that level drops? And that gives you a much better idea, you know, context wise of, what needs to be trained, how long you need to do it for, uh, and how to overload the player because, you know, it's, it's context, it's specific and you can see it, you know, it's right in front of you. This gets into like that scary zone or I say it's scary because I have to be careful with how I, how I word it, but like letting the, letting the game be the teacher type thing. Like, you know, there was the movement and I think rightfully so, to eliminate like running laps at practice and, and, you know, no more sprints like uh, suicides and things like that. And using the game as, you know, the, the fitness uh, moment. So like, for instance, using extended periods of, of rondos to, to, you know, increase the, um, what am I trying to say? Just the, the amount of, the amount of time that you're, you know, ex- what you just said it a second ago, and I'm I'm trying to rack my brain to to figure out what you said. Um, overloading the player is that what you said? Right, right. Okay, yeah. yeah exactly. So that that's that's what I was looking for. So instead of doing it for one minute, you do it for four minutes, and all of a sudden, it's now a fitness component added into it. And, exactly. Um, and, and and using the game situations to kind of be or replace the sprints and the laps and and things like that, but. That is also dangerous because then then you get into you know just just let the kids play and that's not what what we're trying to say. Of course, and and there's always going to be times when you know you're going to have to go on the like. So one of my friends, uh, he calls it the dirt. He's like, there's always going to be times when you're going to have to put in the dirt and just kind of like you're going to have to bust out some some sprints. You know, it might be the 90th minute of a game, and you know because you did some extra sprints in training, uh, you know you're able to to track that runner. Um, you know, I, I don't think anyone is suggesting to eliminate that completely. It's just to always give it, you know, kind of proper context in the in the in the session. And even if you watch, uh, you know, some of the Man City sessions that have been circulating, if you watch what Pep does with the strength and conditioning, you know, it's not always just playing. He has he has things where they're doing, you know, fast feet. They're doing, you know, little agility things. But there's always kind of a ball involved, and it always usually ends with a shot on goal. 
And I think that makes it easier for the players to buy in because they're like, okay, like, you know, it's, it's enjoyable and they're still trying to keep the quality high uh, and, and, and do that instead of just, you know, going on the line and, and sprinting, uh, having a ball or having, you know, an, a shot at the end of it, something uh, makes it much easier for the player to, to buy in and, and see, you know, how it fits into the game. Absolutely. Um, I, I want to end with the question I ask everybody now. Um, and it's, it's what do people need to know? And, and you can, you can answer that however you'd like, whether it's about your app or about, you know, fitness testing about German soccer, whatever. So what do, what do people need to know? Oh, man. Uh, I mean, that's such an open-ended question. Um, I'd say what do people need to know is that they don't know everything and that they always need to kind of learn more. Um, that was one of the great lessons that uh, a coach I used to have uh, said to me. This was around when CrossFit was coming out and getting huge, and a lot of people were slating it and saying it was terrible. Uh, but uh, the guy that I worked with, he was like, listen, there's, you're going to find good and bad in everything you have to figure out what the good is and what the bad is. So for CrossFit, you know, should they be doing hang cleans for, you know, 20 reps if they're 45 years old? Probably not. But the, the hang clean itself is not bad. So to just slate the whole thing uh, as something that you can dismiss, you know, is, is not the right approach. And I've, I, I kind of stuck with me and I've kind of taken that to, to all kind of situations that I've seen. So, you know, whether it's coaching, whether it's, you know, seeing someone's session or, or technology, whatever it is, there's always something that you can get out of it that's that's positive, that can help you. Uh, and then there's going to be other stuff that you're just going to leave and, and, and you don't find it helpful. Uh, but having a good filter and being able to do that, I think, is what, uh, you know, is something very important, not just for coaching or for playing, but also, you know, for your life, you know, because there's so much information out there. There's so many things that you can do, uh, you know, having a filter where you can know, Okay, I like this. I don't like this. Uh, and and so just dismissing people's ideas or, or things you don't like is, is a really important quality to have. So I'd say that's probably the most uh, important thing for me is, you know, having a good filter and, and being able to to differentiate the good and the bad. Hey, Matt, not not bad for your first podcast interview, man. I appreciate it, John. I mean, I, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I was a, I was a little nervous coming on, but I, you know, I love you guys. You guys do some great work, um, you know. The, the podcast is great and I really appreciate you having me on. Yeah. Hey, real quick, where can people find, find you and then find the app and, and just more information about what you're up to? Uh, so they can find me if they go on Twitter. Uh, it's just my name. So Matt, M-A-T-T-D-A-N-A-H-E-R. So just my name. And then if they want information on the app, the app is called Soccer Pulse. Uh, and you can go to www.soccerpulse.net uh, and see videos and, and documentation. And we just kind of released a, a PDF, which helps coaches interpret the data they have. So, you know, if you're not a sports scientist, which most of, most of us aren't, being able to kind of go through it and say, okay, this is a bad trend. This is a good trend. Uh, and just examples for them to look at is, is always helpful. Um, you know, so that's all out there, www.soccerpulse.net. Uh, and they can reach out to me, too, if they have any questions. I, I answer tons of emails every day of people you know you know questions about it you know things that they can do with their team you know so i'm always open to to getting emails from from people oh did you just open pandora's box you're <laughs> i know i know i'm gonna get a hundred. Oh boy it's gonna be funny um all right man well thank you for coming on the show and and i look forward to to tracking to tracking your progress absolutely john thanks so much again appreciate it
right. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 podcast. And a big thank you to my guest, Matt Danaher, for coming on the show and for talking about Soccer Pulse. I hope that you guys check that out and enjoy learning a little bit more about the data collection and the interpretation and the use of data in soccer and youth soccer specifically. So make sure you guys check that out. You can find links to Matt's profiles and websites in the write-up portion of this podcast on 343coaching.com. And that is also where you can find more information about our coaching programs that help to support and fund this podcast. Before I let you go, here is a little note from a name you might be familiar with, Tom Beyer, about his experiences taking one of our online courses. And I can tell you, after someone who's done a lot of coaches' education, both as a student as an instructor, that you will learn more by watching one or two of their videos that you might learn on any full-time course. Because the, the one thing that I like about what they're presenting is, again, it's simplicity, man. It's very simple. It's not a lot of, you know, complicated words. It makes sense. And it goes right directly to the heart of, of, of the game on, on, on how, to, how to develop um, not just you know, individual players, but develop teams as well. Once again, you can find more information about the 343 Coaching Education programs and help to support and fund this podcast by visiting 343coaching.com. That's the number 343coaching, all spelled out, dot com. All right. We will catch you guys next time here on the 343 Podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.